Welcome to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide for October, November and December 2013. Titled The Sanctuary, it is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Lesson 6 for November 2-8, The Day of Atonement. Sabbath afternoon, November 2. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we open your word again today. We come to learn about one of the most exciting, one of the most dreadful, one of the most look forward to days in the Israelite calendar. And we look to see what it means for us here thousands of years later. And as we do, we ask for your Holy Spirit to guide us and bless us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Our memory text this week is Micah chapter 7, verses 18 and 19. Who is a God like thee, who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious acts of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever, because he delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Let's read that again, Micah 7, verses 18 and 19. Who is a God like thee, who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever, because he delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. The Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur, as revealed in Leviticus 16, is the most solemn Old Testament ritual. It is deliberately placed in the heart of the book of Leviticus, which is itself at the centre of the five books of Moses, in order to help to illustrate the most holy character of this ritual. Also referred to as the Sabbath of Sabbaths in Leviticus 16.31, the day calls for the cessation of all work, which is unique for an Israelite yearly festival. This fact places the day squarely within the concept of the Sabbath. It is a time to rest in what God, as Creator and Redeemer, has done, and will do for us. This week, we will study what happened on the Day of Atonement in the earthly sanctuary, specifically the rituals with the two goats, which helps us to better understand deeper truths regarding salvation and the final disposition of sin. Sunday, November 3, The Yearly Cleansing Question. Read Leviticus chapter 16, verses 16 and 30. What is purged on the Day of Atonement? Leviticus 16, verse 16. So he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions for all their sins. And so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. And verse 30. 
For on that day the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. Throughout the year, all kinds of sin and ritual impurities were transferred to the sanctuary. With the Day of Atonement comes the time for their removal. There are three main parts to the Day of Atonement. One, the purification offering for the priest. The high priest slaughtered a bull for his sins, making sure that he, the priest, would be clean when entering the sanctuary so that he could perform the ritual to cleanse it. Two, the purification offering of the goat for the Lord, as described in Leviticus 16 verse 8. During the year, the purification offerings brought all the sins of the Israelites into the sanctuary. The Day of Atonement was the time to remove these sins from the sanctuary. This process was done through the blood of the goat for the Lord. 3. The elimination ritual with the live goat for Azazel. God wanted to get the sins of his people away from the sanctuary and the camp. Therefore, Another live goat was sent out into the desert. Question. Read Leviticus chapter 16 verse 15. What happened to this goat and what did it symbolize? Leviticus 16 verse 15. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering which is for the people, bring its blood inside the veil, do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull, and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. Because there was neither confession of sin nor laying on of hands involved with the goat for the Lord, its blood was not a carrier of sin. Thus it did not defile, but rather it cleansed. The effect is clearly described in verses 16 and 20. The high priest made atonement with the blood of the Lord's goat, cleansing the entire sanctuary. The same procedure also affected the purification of the people so that when the sanctuary was cleansed from all the people's sins, the people themselves were cleansed too. In this sense, the Day of Atonement was unique, for only on this day were both the sanctuary and the people cleansed. The Day of Atonement was the second stage of a two-phase atonement. In the first phase, during the year, the Israelites were forgiven, their sins were not blotted out, but were entrusted to God himself, who promised to deal with them. The second phase did not have much to do with forgiveness. The people were already forgiven. In fact, the verb forgive does not occur at all in Leviticus 16, or in Leviticus 23, 27-32. Let's read that. Also the tenth day of the seventh month shall be the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall affect your souls, and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. And you shall do no work on that same day, for it is the day of atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For any person who is not afflicted in soul on that same day shall be cut off from his people. And any person who does any work on that same day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict your souls. On the ninth day of the month at evening, 
From evening to evening you shall celebrate your Sabbath. What this shows us is that the entire plan of salvation deals with more than just the forgiveness of our sins, a point that makes even more sense when understood in the wider context of the Great Controversy. Monday, November 4, Beyond Forgiveness Question. Read Leviticus chapter 16, verses 32 to 34. What was the main task of the high priest on the Day of Atonement? And the priest who is anointed and consecrated to minister as priest in his father's place shall make atonement and put on the linen clothes, the holy garments. Then he shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tabernacle of meeting, and for the altar, and he shall make atonement for the priests, and for all the people of the assembly. This shall be an everlasting statute for you, to make atonement for the children of Israel, for all their sins, once a year. And he did, as the Lord commanded Moses. The primary function of the high priest was to mediate between God and mankind. Regarding the sanctuary, he administered the system and performed various rituals of sacrifices and offerings. Hebrews 8.3 reads, For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. His task on the Day of Atonement was enormous. He performed almost every ritual, except for leading the goat for Azazel into the wilderness, though he gave the command to send the goat away. On the Day of Atonement, the great priest, as he was also called, became a living example of Christ. Just as the attention of God's people was focused on the high priest, Jesus is the exclusive centre of our attention. As the activities of the high priest on earth brought cleansing to the people, Jesus' work in the heavenly sanctuary does the same for us. We read about this in Romans chapter 8, verse 34, and 1 John 1, 9. Romans eight thirty four. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. And 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Just as the only hope of the people on the Day of Atonement was in the High Priest, our only hope is in Christ. Ellen White writes in Patriarchs and Prophets, page 357, the blood of Christ, while it was to release the repentant sinner from the condemnation of the law, was not to cancel the sin. It would stand on record in the sanctuary until the final atonement. So, in the type, the blood of the sin offering removed the sin from the penitent, but it rested in the sanctuary until the day of atonement. According to Leviticus 16, verses 16 to 20, the high priest had to enter the most holy place and purge it from the ritual impurities, transgressions, and sins. Let's read that. 
Leviticus 16, verses 16 to 20. So he shall make atonement for the holy place, because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel, and because of their transgressions for all their sins. And so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. There shall be no man in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes in to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out that he may make atonement for himself, for his household, and for all the assembly of Israel. And he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord, and make atonement for it, and shall take some of the blood of the bull, and some of the blood of the goat, and put it on the horns of the altar all around. Then he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his fingers seven times, cleanse it, and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. And... When he has made an end of atoning for the holy place, the tabernacle of meeting, and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. He then transferred all the iniquities, all the transgressions, and all the sins of Israel onto the live goat, and sent them away, through the goat, into the desert. Thus all the moral faults of Israel were gone. This achieved the unique goal of the Day of Atonement, a moral purification that went beyond forgiveness. There was no new forgiveness necessary on this day. God had already forgiven their sins. So to finish today, as we struggle with all our God-given strength to put away all sin, how can we learn to lean totally on Christ's merits as our only hope of salvation? Tuesday, November 5, Azazel. Question. Read Leviticus chapter 16, verses 20 to 22. What happened to the live goat? And when he had made an end of atoning for the holy place, the tabernacle of meeting, and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat, and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to an uninhabited land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. The ritual with the live goat was not an offering. After the lot decided which of the two goats was to be for the Yahweh and which was for Azazel, often translated as scapegoat, only the goat for Yahweh is referred to as a purification offering. Verse 9, And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering. And verse 15, then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, bring its blood inside the veil, do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull, and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. By contrast, the goat for Azazel is called the live goat. It was never slain, probably to avoid any idea that the ritual constituted a sacrifice. The live goat came into play only after the high priest had finished the atonement of the entire sanctuary. 
in verse 20 we read about that. This point cannot be overemphasized. The ensuring ritual with the live goat had nothing to do with the actual cleansing of the sanctuary or of the people. They already had been cleansed. Who or what is Azazel? Early Jewish interpreters identified Azazel as the original angelic sinner and primary author of evil, even as the leader of evil angels. We know him, of course, as a symbol of Lucifer himself. The ritual with the live goat was a rite of elimination that accomplished the final disposal of sin. Sin would be brought upon the one responsible for it in the first place, and then carried away from the people forever. Atonement was made upon it in a punitive sense. In Leviticus 16 verse 10 we read, But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it, and to let it go as the scapegoat into the wilderness. Does Satan then play a role in our salvation, as some falsely charge we teach? Of course not. Satan never in any way bears sin for us as a substitute. Jesus alone has done that. And it is blasphemy to think that Satan had any part in our redemption. The ritual with the live goat finds a parallel in the law of the malicious witness of Deuteronomy 19, verses 16 to 21. If a false witness rises against any man to testify against him of wrongdoing, then both men in the controversy shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who serve in those days. And the judges shall make careful inquiry, and indeed, if the witness is a false witness who has testified falsely against his brother— then you shall do to him as he thought to have done to his brother. So you shall put away the evil from among you. And those who remain shall hear and fear, and hereafter they shall not again commit such evil among you. Your eye shall not pity. Life shall be for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. The accuser and the accused stand before the Lord, represented by the priests and the judges. An investigation is held, and, if the accuser is found to be a malicious witness, he shall receive the punishment he intended for the innocent. For example, vicious Haman, who put up gallows for loyal Mordecai. So to finish today, thank God again for his merciful forgiveness and the fact that he will remember our sin no more. Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-four. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. How can we learn not to remember our sins once they are forgiven? Why is it so important for us to do this? Wednesday, November 6, on the Day of Atonement. Ellen White writes in Patriarchs and Prophets, page 358, Thus, in the ministration of the tabernacle, 
and of the temple that afterward took its place, the people were taught each day the great truths relative to Christ's death and ministration, and once each year their minds were carried forward to the closing events of the great controversy between Christ and Satan, the final purification of the universe from sin and sinners. Question. Read Leviticus 16:29-31 and chapter 23 verses 27 to 32. What did God expect the Israelites to do on Yom Kippur? How do these principles apply to us today, living as we are in the antitypical day of atonement? First of all, Leviticus 16:29-31. This shall be a statute forever for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether a native of your own country or a stranger who dwells among you. For on that day the priest shall make atonement for you, to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you, and you shall afflict your souls. It is a statute forever." And chapter 23, verses 27 to 32. Also, the tenth day of this seventh month shall be the Day of Atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, and you shall do no work on that same day, for it is the Day of Atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For any person who is not afflicted in soul on that same day shall be cut off from among his people." And any person who does any work on that same day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict your souls. On the ninth day of the month at evening, from evening to evening, you shall celebrate your Sabbath. If someone in ancient Israel did not follow these instructions. He was to be cut off and destroyed. Leviticus 23, verses 29 and 30, which we've already read. The Day of Atonement was truly about nothing less than life and death. It demanded the believer's complete loyalty to God. Imagine that someone had confessed his sins during the first phase of atonement during the year, that is, the daily sacrifices, but then did not take the Day of Atonement seriously. By his disregard of what God had planned to demonstrate on this day, such a person proved himself to be disloyal to God. What this means is that a person who professes faith in God can still lose salvation. As Seventh-day Adventists, we do not believe in once saved, always saved, because the Bible does not teach it. We are secure in Christ just as long as we live in faith and surrender to Him, claiming His power for victory when tempted, and His forgiveness when we fall. So to finish today, read Matthew eighteen twenty-three to 35 What lesson should we take away from this powerful parable? Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold, with his wife and children, and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. 
Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved, and came and told their master and all that had been done. You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry, and delivered him to the torturers, until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you, if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Thursday, November 7, Isaiah's Personal Yom Kippur In Isaiah 6.1, Isaiah sees the heavenly king sitting on a throne in the temple, high and exalted. The vision is a judgment scene that presents God as coming for judgment in Isaiah 5.16, but the Lord of hosts shall be exalted in judgment, and God, who is holy, shall be hallowed in righteousness. Isaiah beholds the true king, identified in the Gospel of John as Jesus Christ in John 12.41. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. Even though Isaiah was God's prophet and he called others to repentance, he understood that in God's presence he was doomed. Confronted with God's holiness and glory, Isaiah perceived his own sinfulness and also the uncleanness of the people. Holiness and sin are incompatible. Like Isaiah, we all need to come to the conclusion that we cannot pass through the divine judgment on our own. Our only hope is to have a substitute. Question. What parallels to the Day of Atonement appear in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 6? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory." And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar." The combination of a temple filled with smoke, an altar, judgment, and atonement for sin and uncleanness recalls strongly the Day of Atonement. 
Isaiah experienced his own personal day of atonement, as it were. Functioning like a priest, a seraph, literally a burning one, took a burning cold from the altar, presupposing some kind of offering, to purge the prophet's sin. This is an apt image for the cleansing from sin that is possible through the sacrifice of Jesus and his priestly ministry of mediation. Isaiah recognized this as a cleansing ritual, and he kept still as the coal touched his lips. Thereby, his iniquity is taken away and his sin is forgiven, verse 7 says. The passive voice in verse 7 shows that forgiveness is granted by the one sitting on the throne. The judge is also the saviour. God's work of cleansing brings us from woe is me to here I am, send me. In other words, understanding the heavenly work on the Day of Atonement leads to a readiness for proclamation because a true understanding leads to assurance and surety. This is because we know that in judgment we have a substitute, Jesus Christ, whose righteousness alone, symbolized by the blood, will enable us to stand without fear of condemnation, as it says in Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Gratitude motivates mission. Acquitted sinners are God's best ambassadors, as we read in Second Corinthians five eighteen and to twenty, because they know what God has delivered them from. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Friday, November 8. From the book The Great Controversy, page 657 and 658, we read, Now the event takes place foreshadowed in the last solemn service of the Day of Atonement, when the ministration in the Holy of Holies has been completed and the sins of Israel had been removed from the sanctuary by virtue of the blood of the sin offering, then the scapegoat was presented alive before the Lord, and in the presence of the congregation the high priest confessed over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions in all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat. Leviticus 16.21 In like manner, when the work of atonement in the heavenly sanctuary has been completed, then in the presence of God and heavenly angels and the host of the redeemed, the sins of God's people will be placed upon Satan. He will be declared guilty of all the evil which he has caused them to commit. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. 1. Why would any understanding of the plan of salvation be incomplete if it leaves out or minimizes the work of Christ as our high priest? 
What does the sanctuary teach us about just how central the work of intercession in the sanctuary is to the plan of salvation? The bulk of an entire New Testament book, Hebrews, is dedicated to the work of Christ in the heavenly sanctuary. In view of this, just how important is that work? 2. Someone once wrote that the work of Christ from his death to his ministry in the heavenly sanctuary is simply part of God's orderly method of dealing with the sin problem in a way that will help to answer all questions regarding his justice, fairness and love. Dwell on the implications of that thought, especially in light of the great controversy and what it teaches us about the grand issues involved in the sordid tragedy of sin. 3. Many Seventh-day Adventists were taught about the Day of Atonement in a way that has left them without assurance of salvation. Such a view comes from a false understanding of the purpose of the Day of Atonement. Think about the word atonement. What does it mean? How is atonement achieved? Who does the work of atonement? How is it accomplished? How should these answers help us to understand why the Day of Atonement is actually good news. Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled A Child Shall Lead Them and it comes from Trujillo in Peru. From infancy, Joelito's mother taught him to love and serve Jesus. When she led small group meetings, Joelito watched her and learned from her. When he was eight years old, he asked to be baptized and to lead others to Jesus. When he was ten, the government of Peru passed a law requiring children to attend school on Sabbath. His teacher allowed him to skip classes and make up work on Mondays. But when the time came for national exams, the teacher couldn't help him. If you don't take the exam, she said sadly, you'll fail. Jolito prayed that God would intervene, and in faith he spent the Sabbath worshipping God. On Monday, Jolito learned that the exam hadn't been given on Saturday because the classroom key had been lost. Joel thanked God for making it possible for him to keep the Sabbath and still take the exam. Jolito told his friends how God had answered his prayers. He invited them to church and offered to study the Bible with them, just as he had learned from his mother. When the church held children's programs, Jolito invited his friends to attend. If they couldn't attend, he offered to visit their homes and study the children's Bible course with them. The mother of one of the children asked Jolito to study the Bible with her. I wasn't nervous, Jolito says. I had watched my mother give many Bible studies. Jolito's church is small, and everyone takes part. When Jolito was twelve, he began taking turns preaching and working as the stewardship leader. During the summer vacation, young people throughout the country take part in a program called Mission Caleb. They go to a specific town to do community service, visit door-to-door, and give Bible studies. Jolito wanted to help, but he was told he was too young. So he stayed home and helped a group of Mission Caleb volunteers that had come to his town to do similar work. 
Jolito continues to work hand-in-hand with God, visiting people, giving them Bible studies, and working in the church. I don't go with my mum to give Bible studies any more, he says. I'm too busy giving my own Bible studies. Jolito preaches in his church once a month, and he loves it. Part of your 13th Sabbath offering recently helped to build a small church in Jolito's town. Thank you for sharing so that others can hear God's message of love. This week's reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide has been brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Your reader has been Dr. Percy Harold. Remember, God is always faithful. Thank you.